innovation is in our veins Soon the whole world will know our names Sharing our knowledge and freedom reign We give for the people, you know it's our way Setting foundations is part of the dream It doesn't matter if you're new to the game Listen up now, cause we all gon' say Ugh. Elevate, elevate, elevate Higher, elevate, elevate, elevate Higher, we gon' rise up Gonna shine, work through adversity, stay on the grind, elevate, elevate, this is our time, elevate, elevate. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, everyone. It's so great to have you all on one more time. It's your boy Josh and Reg. And we're grateful to be back on with you for this Jennifer L week. We are stoked. We have a lot to get into. First off, well, drama going down. What's going on with these Bell Media layoffs? Trudeau's crying about it, blaming Bell. Polyev's crying about it, blaming Trudeau, and Jagmeet's nowhere to be found. We have no idea where he went. Uh, we'll also be talking about Trudeau's tanking polling numbers. Jagmeet put another gauntlet down, uh, and what's going to be happening there with, will we see an election this year? We'll be talking to all that with Jennifer today, and also be capping it all off with the Putin-Tucker interview and whatever <laughs> reactions were to that. And then Nova Scotia. Well, yeah, you Scotians listen to the show? We might be going back to the polls here in the summertime for our provincial election. It all starts now. Reg, how you feeling, big dog? Pretty good. I was I was laughing because I was thinking in my head, like when you were like, oh yeah, we might be going back to the polls. I was like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> sad face. <laughs> like, we don't want to go back. <laughs> don't do it to us. <laughs> don't, don't make us go. Don't make us go. We don't want to. Yeah. But Tim Houston's like, come on. Amazing. <laughs> so we'll see how this all goes down. You feeling good? That was a good weekend for you? Oh, yeah, you know. So we ended up at the lacrosse game. The Thunderbirds took it home, so we're doing good there. There you go. Ended up playing quite a bit of hockey. Got my skate sharpened. That's a a big one for you. First (laughs) one of the year. Well, uh, I had gotten them sharpened before, and... uh, I'm sorry, Cleves and Bears Lake, but I'm calling you out because you did a terrible job. Jeez, <laughs> call <them> so, out. <laughs> ruined them. Oh, really? I ended up taking them back to uh, Sports Check at the mall, and uh, I said to the guy, I said, listen, I skate in 40 minutes. If Please just make sure that I'm not going to be all over the ice. And he was looking at them, and I said, they feel like a butter knife, and they skate even worse. <laughs> Jeez. And he's like, yeah, you have no outside edge. I was like, I know. <laughs> I've been on my butt more than I have been upright. So anyway, fix them for me. I had a good skate after that. I was like, okay, we're doing good. Had a, my daughter's first birthday. That was great. Um, had you there. Had a couple listeners there. Uh, it was really good to see everybody. And then also celebrated Chinese New Year and uh, had a jam session with a bunch of family doctors. So we're doing, we're doing well. It was a full weekend. Felt good. Today was a little rough, though, because the body was tired, but uh, we made it through. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. Happy for you. Yeah, for myself, feel, feeling good. We're this close to getting our kitchen rentals done. We are almost at the finish line. But let's honestly talk about some things on this podcast right now where some of our listeners who, you know, they're, they're engaged in politics. They love these things. But they are also, some of them, equally, kind of like myself, engaged in sports. And the Super Bowl happened this past weekend. And boy, was it a fun one. And I will say this. Calling out one of our listeners right now. Magic Mike. Yeah, I'm looking at you, big dog. You big Niners fan, huh? Oh, yeah. Mr. Relvin's going to pop it all off. This one's his. The Chiefs are the Chiefs, baby, and you can never count out Pat Mahomes. Let's go. Overtime, win, dunk, it's all over. Sorry, big dog. You got dunked on in Cape Breton with all the snow. More's coming, and you had to deal with the Niners loss in the Super Bowl. That sucks. Chiefs. <laughs> you know what's awesome is that I found my people at work because I was, they're all like, did you watch the Super Bowl? And I was like, 
I saw Usher. <laughs> I'm like, me too. And I was like, yeah, my people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was tight. Yeah, what were your thoughts on the Usher halftime show? I thought it was good. I was surprised that they didn't start out on a stage, um, mm-hmm. that he started out on the field, but uh, I thought he did a good job. He I was like, he still got it. Yeah. I felt the pre- uh, the halftime show was very similar to how the game went, where it uh, started slow, ended well. Yeah. Uh, loved seeing Luda come out of nowhere. <laughs> we had little John. Let's go. It was a party. It was awesome. Alicia Keys hitting a little bit of a flat note, but, you know, we out here. We, we love her still. Yeah. And then, you know, you got someone who's not her husband touching all up on her weird <laughs> weird behavior so interesting i mean it's showbiz right i mean is that what it is <laughs> is that what it was <laughs> gee absolutely wild. well what i thought was very interesting too from a political perspective on this was every tech talk from the nfl or espn that posted a highlight from post game celebrations of the super bowl got annihilated by pro-Palestinian bots. <laughs> every comment, on no, no word of a lie, dude. Every comment's like, did you see what happened in Rafa last night? Yeah, more people died. It's your fault. Your blood, their blood is on your hands and you're celebrating the Super Bowl. And it was just constant in those comments. Like you tell, it was just bot farm to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, that was, that was a lot. And they kind of hit me with the, we've talked about this about a lot of different causes. The Palestinian stuff's hitting that that threshold at the moment where people have gone from they've stopped caring and like feeling bad for you to they they start they're starting to hate you. Yeah, and that tends to happen with really any type of political movement where you're trying to gain any awareness. There's the threshold. There's that that, that even part where you're just kind of figuring out where uh, you keep the public on your side and keep awareness high, uh, but not crossing the line of then turning the public against you and then the government's not going to do anything at all. So here's what I think happens with that is honestly, I think it's again, locus control again, because what happens is that when you look at that and you say, what can the average Super Bowl, Super Bowl like fan, what are they going to be able to do about this war in the Middle East? Yep. Honestly, what happened to Rafa? Horrific. It's awful. Those people have nowhere to go. It's it's a genocide. We are all aware that he's ethnically cleansing the entire Gaza Strip they want it back. They're like, these are the uh, territorial lands of Israel. We want it. And, uh, but like you said, the problem is, is that I even watched them flying the Palestinian flag above the Canadian flag in different places. And that didn't sit right with people. And it's when I say locus of control, like the average person can't do anything to impact that. And the fact that even our leaders are going over there and saying, Hey, Netanyahu, Maybe you should knock it off. Like you're killing people, women, children, everybody. And he said, stay out of it. You know, I don't care. <laughs> this is my fight. Deal with your own things. And so what's happened is, is then when these pro-Palestinian protesters are attacking the things that bring people joy in the West, that's when you're like, you're, you're losing all credibility. If they were out there at a politician's house or out in front of, Congress or up in parliament buildings or wherever, you know, politicians are at and they're protesting and that was where they're at, they'd probably get all the support in the world. But you start protesting people's uh, skating event like they did in Ontario, or you start protesting all the uh, Super Bowl things, you start taking away people's joy. They're not going to join you. That's just not how it works, unfortunately. And I, I get it where people are like, how can you celebrate while people are, people are dying? 
the unfortunate reality in this world is that there's a lot of people dying all the time. Some of them are even dying in your own hometown because they're sleeping rough on the streets and they don't have food to eat and they're using food banks. And it's just like, there's so much horribleness in the world that there's only so much people can take. And the things that feel out of their control, they just dissociate from. So it's unfortunate, but they're losing that narrative because they're attacking things that people uh, cherish. They're attacking traditions. They're attacking things that make people feel connected to each other in their community. And it's like, you're going about it the wrong way, guys. If you want support, you're doing it badly. Yeah. And the one thing, too, is something that may help them to realize what's going on, too. And this is what is adding to the frustration is I don't know if you've noticed, but both in the States and Canada, our governments aren't listening to us, period. <laughs> like it's just, they're, they're, yeah. they're doing whatever they're doing. We so we talked about it last week. What was it? 10 billion to Israel. Oh, sorry. 14 billion to Israel. 10 billion to the humanitarian aid in Gaza. <laughs> they're funding both sides of they a conflict. Are. And they've done that for decades at this point. And Canada's not much better. Uh, and, you know, we saw, we saw what happened three years ago, two years ago with the, the trucker convoy. They, they'll crush you. They'll crush you. They, they're not interested in listening to the people. Uh, they're interested in their own agenda and serving whatever solves them and gets power. So I hear you. And that's what the frustration is. Canadians are like, yeah, we see you. We understand what we see what's going on. However, let's not forget what started all this. You know, at least the immediate situation. Some uh, terrible things happened on October 6th. Mm-hmm. That, there was a response to that. Now... Are we seeing a response that's, is it, are we going overboard at this point? That's, that kind of, that conversation can happen. I'm not going to have that conversation right here and now. That's not mine to have, but that's, that's the conversation that's happening with these people. So when you have people like us who are new to terms of like the in-depth politics of the situation, who are just trying to enjoy the Super Bowl, who are bitter because we know our governments aren't listening to us. And then we're having people yell at us for not talking to our governments. I was like, yeah, we're going to throw our hands up in the air and enjoy some musher. Sorry, dog. Yeah. We can't even get rid of a carbon tax, let alone <laughs> stop a world war. So like, <laughs> True. give us a break. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong, dude. Not wrong. And do you know what else is going on? So anyways, Super Bowl was great. Loved it. Had a good time. I, uh, I'm a Steelers fan personally. And how I roll is if I, my team's out. I wrote for, I root for greatness, and that's what I got to see. Three Super Bowls, pretty unreal. We got to fight for our right to party, boys. Uh, and speaking of partying, um, we there's some confusion going on here with Bell Media layoffs. Uh, Trudeau Trudeau has come out and said he's furious with 4,800 people being laid off of Bell Media. He says it's a garbage decision. He got a he throw got on his. His drama teacher voice really got pumped up, let the people know he's in, the, in it to fight for them. And he's annoyed by this decision and that Bell has done this. And it seems to me that Trudeau is unaware that we are in a recession and jobs are going to be lost. Uh, but in his world, that doesn't happen. So he's complaining about it. You have some direct intel <laughs> uh, of things that are happening a little bit, at least from a, a couple different perspectives, people on the ground. Reg, what's happened from your perspective, big dog? So a friend of mine is a former Bell employee, um, worked on the ground with the media. And he said to me, he's like, this is something that I saw was coming. The writing was on the wall. We realized that legacy media is just not doing as well as independents, that people who are making content on TikTok, they are the ones that are actually 
getting all the attention right now because people have lost faith in the legacy media outlets. And so it's a business that is not doing well. And he said that I understand that Bell Media is a for-profit company. So they're going to do whatever they're going to do to continue to be profitable. So he was like, I don't actually see this as something that was un unheard of or unforeseen. He's like, this is definitely something that I saw coming. It sucks because I just lost my job and now I'm going to have to figure out something else. But it was like, it was very reasonable. It was like, you know what? They're a for-profit company. He's like, had I been working for CBC and they're a publicly funded company and I was one of those employees that lost my job, he's like, I would have been livid. The thing that he brought though that I thought was the most interesting was that he was saying that he's finding that media nowadays is just a copy paste of each other and that they're not interested in telling stories, they're not interested in doing journalism, that it's just get whatever you can possibly get out there as fast as humanly possible so that you look like you're first mm -hmm. in the comment section, so to speak. And it doesn't matter if it's validated. It doesn't matter if it actually takes an in-depth look at things. It's just get it out there as fast as possible. And he said, and everybody's doing it in the media these days. And so when I said about how it's a travesty to lose W5, he's like, yeah, he said, but W5 was going the way of the dodo bird anyway, because nobody wanted to fund that investigative journalism because they're just looking for whatever is quick and, and, and fast and able to make views, which makes money. Yeah. So... Vice faced something very similar as well. Uh, back in the day, that was how, how Vice was founded. They were founded on the premise of hard investigative journalism, on the ground, getting into the mix, going to these foreign countries, seeing what's going on. And then they went heavy identity politics, and that was okay, what was getting the clicks. Um, throw all the words, all the buzzwords into one big headline, boom, you get views. And that was, that's the problem with the attention economy in general. Uh, and that's kind of the... I, I liked kind of how he put that where it's become an attempt, uh, whoever gets to it first kind of situation. And I'm sensing that even as our show, um, as we are now considered, I guess the independence and, uh, <laughs> we're getting the, the attention at this point, which we appreciate where we love to see it. We love you guys. I see you. Um, yeah, baby. You can kiss us to everybody out here, baby. Gross. Uh, <laughs> oh, it is the week of love, baby. It's the Valentine's Day. What are we talking about? Anyways, uh, we, we, I'm seeing that a lot in just kind of like that. I'm seeing both left and right, but we're obviously in the kind of more conservative right wing circles now, uh, at least in terms of people who are going to talk to us. And I'm seeing all these people doing these different shows. And everyone's covering the same story just from their viewpoint. And it's annoying. Uh, I get personally annoyed by it, too. We got, admittedly, admittedly, you're going to hate me for this, Reg, but we got caught up in it last week. Yep. We weren't sticking to our identity last week. We got caught up in what's happening now, what's crazy, crazy things to talk about. And it really wasn't us. It wasn't our identity, and I felt it at the end of that episode. So much so, believe it or not, we trimmed 13 minutes of that show. So people were just like, yeah, there's a segment that kind of ran a little long. And I was like, it was longer. <laughs> <laughs> it was longer. Uh, it, was, it wasn't who we are. And that's kind of why I was kind of, I appreciate that comment about the Bell Media stuff because I don't want to be that. Um, I obviously want to cover stories that are really important that are interesting, that are important to people, but I want to cover it with our viewpoint. I want to cover it from our perspective, our lightness to the topic and be able to tell a story at the same time. 
Yeah, and I think that like the value that we bring, if I can toot our own horn here, is that toot, toot. We, are, <laughs> we are connected to so many people to be able to actually share stories of people uh, who may not be able to share that publicly. We can give them anonymity and actually have their voice heard because if you listen to the narrative right now, it's that all the Bell Media employees are PO'd, they are all sh in shock and they can't believe this happened. It's like, no, that's actually not the experience. And so that's kind of what I think like we bring as a value is just being able to give anonymity to people who really want to have their side of the story told in a different way and in a way that really reflects the truthful and full story. Absolutely. So. And for this one, that's why it's it gets interesting, right? Because there's a lot of finger pointing happening. Mm -hmm. uh, Trudeau's like, Bell, morons. This can't look bad on me. Uh, like, w I gave you money. Why are people getting laid off? Oh, sorry. <laughs> money doesn't solve. I mean, giving, throwing money at things doesn't solve all issues. Uh, <laughs> Just ask Sears. <laughs> yeah. And then Paul, I've got grilled too uh, today as well uh, about the conservatives giving or at least greenlighting $120 million to mainstream media. And he was asked that question by the Canadian press. And Paul Yev wouldn't answer the question. Even though we can, we found stories where them and the NDP signed this amendment that would have given $120 million to mainstream media. And he was asked, or, yeah, why did you do that? Is that what the conservatives believe in? And Paul Yev wouldn't give a direct answer on it. And then took the angle of like, well, you're the Canadian press, you're, you're a mouthpiece of Justin Trudeau, which not wrong, but didn't answer the question. And that's where we, we ended up doing our own digging before the show. We're like, what is this all about? Like, what did they actually greenlight? What's happening? What happened with this bill? It was, about, it was around the online streaming act. So we know that there's kind of some messiness happening around it, but we couldn't really get to the bottom of it. It seemed there's a lot of lack of transparency around this one. Yeah. And what was also interesting too is that there was no right-wing media coverage of that at all. Yeah. And I, I said to Josh, I was like, you know what? I've been following the National Post a lot. I gave them a shout out in the last episode that they're the media outlet that I, I frequent the most and couldn't find anything by them. The only thing we could find was on CTV and CBC for articles Which on this. All parroting Canadian press story. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so what's frustrating is that when you originally watch the the video of Polyev, you're like, oh, look at him dunking on that stupid liberal re reporter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And then I was looking at it and I was like, no, actually, she's right. He's not answering the question. One, she was heckling the crap out of him. And so I said, you know, why would you ask him it in that way? So first she's like, why did the conservatives give $100 million to legacy media if you don't believe in media, blah, blah, blah. And she just like comes out with the attack first. It's like, okay, obviously he's not going to respond to that. The way you phrase that is say, why did you and the NDP sign an amendment that gave money to legacy media? And you just, you make it very clear because then he can't get away from that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to call out the actual action. You can't just say you gave money to the, to the legacy media because he was like, I didn't give any money away. What money did you give away? What money? Who said that? And like, that's how he answers uh, reporters, which I find interesting in some cases but in this one it was annoying because then he just went right back to the the talking points and so i was i was disappointed in you pp so <laughs> yeah i i think there was disappointment on both sides right where i i put a lot more of it on the reporter where you you could have actually done your job 
you know, you could, you know, be one of these people that isn't going to be one of these 4,800 people laid off and actually do, do some journalism and ask in a calm, succinct manner, direct to the point, why did you vote on this? Yeah. Instead of making it an issue or sorry, or sorry, making it an emotional issue and going after him and heckling him, not really answering, letting him answer the question. And then it became about the emotion versus the actual issue. And then he was able to just dismiss you instead of answering the question. Exactly. So it, was, it was an interesting situation. Yeah. It was a lack of professionalism on her part. And because we all know politicians, they're going to, they're going to get away with whatever they can get away with. Mm-hmm. And it is supposed to be the role of journalists to hold them accountable. And that journalist didn't, they yeah. just, they let their emotions, like you said, run the best of him. And uh, yeah, he won that round. So Sorry. And this is why people are losing jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and the economy's doing terrible. And then as well, if you're not providing a service that people are interested in, well, you're gonna you're gonna lose your job. And that's where the problem is lying. And I'm really wanna see I'm looking forward to seeing more independent journalists come out of the woodwork here and really do some serious serious work, which I'd be excited to. I would love if anyone, any of those types of journalists are listening to the show, love to get into t- t- uh, contact and, and chat because I think it's important to start highlighting these people and, and getting them into the mix here and, and getting some real answers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, well, bell layoffs and all that jazz. Well, let's get into our next segment. First off, we welcome former political staffer, current policy analyst, queen of laying the smack down in the comments and also followed by Jason Nash on TikTok. We have your Indige Politico, Jennifer L. Oh, Jennifer, how are you doing? Uh, I hope we hope you're bopping to that because we we picked the song just for you because you're a boss. How are you how are you how are you holding up? Did you enjoy the Super Bowl? What were your thoughts on Usher? Uh really? You're gonna start off with asking me that terrible halftime show? <laughs> you thought it was terrible? <laughs> Cancelled immediately. I thought it was awful. Gee, wow. What was awful about it? Was it the roller skating? Yeah, definitely the roller. skating was giving Napoleon dynamite like when he's being pulled behind the bike <laughs> and I was just kind of like this is not fitting like none of this is making sense Ludacris definitely like um, saved the day but it was no Dr. Dre and Eminem like it just oh that was one of your favorites huh yeah yeah I admit that was I liked that one a lot too a couple years back it's funny I don't know what it is with women and Ludacris my wife had the same reaction she's like Luda's cute <laughs> and I was like what are you saying? Get out of here. So, uh, and her and all her friends down in the States were loving Ludacris. Uh, and I, I'm not going to lie. When he popped on, I was like, yeah, Luda, let's go. <laughs> we're super psyched. Well, we hope, hope you were able to enjoy at least somewhat of the game. Are you much, are you even much of a sports fan? I'm curious. I didn't know. Uh, yeah. Baseball. baseball. Baseball for sure. I'm a huge Blue Jays fan. Um, like basketball somewhat little bit um hockey yeah like i think i follow more of like the pulp culture around basketball and hockey and even football now more than like actually liking the game itself Mm, so you were definitely following the taylor swift travis kelsey stuff is what i'm gathering oh yeah i'm a taylor (laughs) swift fan so oh he's swift yeah love to see it love to see it did you get a chance to check out any part of the Aeros tour 
No, I tried everything to get tickets and it's not happening. So oh, I'm so sorry, friend. Holy jumping. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess we'll jump into other important things uh, that are uh, top of mind. Well, first off, we this was a big top topic of chatting last week where um, Mr. Tucker Carlson went over across the pond to interview Vladimir Putin of Russia. And he was like, so why did you invade Ukraine? And Polya, or sorry, Polya, uh, Putin, the other P, um, said, well, here's a, here's a history lesson, and this is what's going down. And then took about a half hour to 45 minutes to answer the question, which we thought was very interesting. Uh, and then me and Reg were sitting beside each other on the couch and watching this interview on Furl, and we looked at each other and we said, hmm, how, much, how long do you think it's going to be until he mentions the Nazi in Parliament uh, situation? Uh, you know, because we knew that was prime propaganda fuel uh, for your boy over there in Russia. And uh, it took next to no amount of time possible, and he, he dropped that like a nuke. He was like, this is why we invade Ukraine. We need to denazify de Ukraine because the Canadians apparently love him. And that's ridiculous, right? Uh, and we kind of rolled our eyes and we're just like, stupid Trudeau, man, like getting <laughs> us again. And you said, you came out on Twitter and said, guys, we don't need a dictator to tell us that this was bad. And people <laughs> lost their minds on you and called you all kinds of names in the book. Please tell me what your reaction was to all of that uh, off the cuff. Um, yeah, I think the interview was an issue in and itself. I mean, he's free to do whatever he wants, just like Tucker Carlson is free to come to Canada and do whatever he wants. Whether or not I'm actually going to like participate in the circus is a whole different story. I think the conversation that unfolded on Twitter, you know, I, I always leave my comments open on everything on TikTok, on Twitter, whatever. But at the same time, at some point, it's just, it's enough, right? Like you read through it and you're like, okay, there's no actual legitimate arguments happening here other than like name calling people just like putting me down. I think what I took from that is that I'm still a free thinker, no matter what anybody says. I don't need Vladimir Putin to tell me that Trudeau is an awful prime minister. I'm not, a, I'm not a liberal fan. Everybody knows that. I think Trudeau, it's time for him to go. But again, I don't need Vladimir Putin to tell me that. And also, it's very rich coming from him. Mm -hmm. And I think what was happening is the arguments that were coming, mostly from the right, on how, you know, Trudeau is a dictator and Trudeau is this and Trudeau is that. And it's like, guys, like, you realize that you're taking words from Vladimir Putin on bad governance right now? Like, are you kidding me? And it's like, you almost want to tell these people, like, I just wish you could experience governance under... Vladimir Putin to really understand. But again, it is what it is. And we're living in a weird timeline. So yeah, I hear you on that. As someone I spent uh, probably two to three weeks in Russia back in 2015, and being able to talk to people there and kind of hear the history and stuff that's happened in Russia, I had a chance to visit the Kremlin, uh, go through their whole museum and see Peter the Great, Catherine the Great and all that and hear the history of what's happened to the Bolsheviks. And then hearing the kind of follow that's happened obviously through the Soviet Union it was very interesting kind of hearing people there uh, talk about their government and how like it was just it was just common knowledge like yeah we have them one of those corrupt governments and it sucks we can't own anything here you have to have like 75 percent down payment to own something uh and that's only allowed on the outskirts of moscow you're not allowed to own anything within moscow and so it was just stuff like that was really interesting kind of uh knowing that's where russia is and that a lot of that has happened obviously through the years but then a huge bunch of that has happened underneath putin so people being like putin is just exposing uh, our leaders exposing joe biden exposing trudeau 
was like, eh. um, we, we knew these things. Uh, we didn't need him to tell us that. And then also see what he's done to his people. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Uh, it was just an interesting interview, but Raj, I know you have a question. Oh no, I just, I kind of completely agreed with you. Cause I heard a lot from my, uh, Instagram, TikTok, and the different social media platforms that I follow people being like, Oh, Putin out here. Like there, he's telling the truth. He's, he's exposing all these people and showing corrupt leadership and showing corrupt, uh, elections and all this stuff. I'm like, the man's been in power for 25 years and makes his opposition disappear. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like how, how, how dare you look at him and say like, this is a shining example of truth. Like, give Amazing. me a break. Yeah. <laughs> and, and really it, to me, I think of when people say, well, maybe you should just listen to the interview. It's like, yes, let's just erase literally everything. And what he just said, like, that's like me telling people, okay, well, let's take an interview with Trudeau. Let's sit him down for two hours. He did a podcast. He does one every year, I think at the end of the year. And let's showcase that to other people. Yeah. Everything sounds great on video. Everything sounds great when it's in a curated interview, but like, to me, it's like, let's just forget everything else that comes with Vladimir Putin, but he doesn't like Trudeau and I don't like Trudeau. So we're besties now. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what i felt and i was like there's different parts of it that i was like he he said a couple things about propaganda and the media and how the media works in america and europe and i was like yeah that's that's true and then when he said about you know i could have definitive proof that you know the allies destroyed the pipeline and tucker carlson is like why wouldn't you provide that and he's like because you all would just call it propaganda anyway and i'm like Fair, fair take. But at the same time, you do spout a lot of propaganda yourself. So, <laughs> but it was funny because like, before we even started the, the show, um, it, it was me, Josh and another friend. And Josh says to us, he's like, I'm fully expecting 80% of this all to just be complete BS. And we we're like, yep, so are we. But it was like a good level set going into the interview being like, yeah, we're all on the same page here. Like we're listening to a dictator right now like we yeah. we know what we're gonna get but people were listening to it and being like oh yeah this is this is groundbreaking <laughs> like no it's not so this is real journalism out here yeah. uh yeah what, well, what were your thoughts and not just, we this is my thoughts is yeah. that i'm sure you guys all seen me getting called a leftist like some guy literally on twitter was like well you know i've really been seeing you veering to the left for a while he's like criticizing vladimir putin and donald trump and i'm like did I criticize Donald Trump? I don't even think I go down that rabbit hole. And I'm like, also, this is so painful for a political science background person to to have somebody be like, well, you're veering to the left because you criticize Vladimir Putin. That is not how political ideology works. <laughs> like, just criticizing these people doesn't move me on the fence. But like, okay. I mean, I'm I guess, like, this is too much. I mean, you are, I guess you're left of fascism. So true. <laughs> <laughs> And like, I'm telling everybody in my circle about this. And I'm like, okay, I'm telling my husband, he's laughing. And I'm like, of course you're laughing about this. Cause it's like, I'm getting called a leftist on Twitter right now. And then I'm blocked by half of leftist Twitter. So I can't even go and infiltrate and be like, come save me, you guys. <laughs> they hate me. Gee, well, I was curious. You said this at the beginning of, of the, the conversation was you had an issue with the interview itself. I wonder what kind of what, was about it like i know you weren't you're not necessarily a fan of tucker carlson so i'm curious if you had some issues with how he conducted the interview 
Yeah, not necessarily with Tucker Carlson himself, but just how like Putin was all over the map. Mm-hmm. And like the memes that came out were spot on <laughs> because they're like, tell us why you invaded Ukraine. And he's like, well, let's go back to the evolution of the earth. Like he's just all over the place. And I'm like, this is the prime manipulating like 101 over here. True. I think, I mean, I think it's definitely fair. The one thing I got out of that too was that's also Russia in general. Um, at least with the people I've talked to over there, like they have a lot of pride in, I don't even say pride, but they have, they just know their history and they know where they've come from. And like, that means a lot to them. Uh, and that's kind of what I saw when Putin started off, wanted to start off back in 600 AD <laughs> of a conversation um, and, and kind of go from there. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of spot on for Russian culture in general. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of a half hour interview, like just, and then the fact that Tucker interjected is like, this is a waste of time. Like he just felt like Tucker felt like he was wasting time and trying to uh, not answer the question. And then, then Putin got mad at him for interjecting. And that was interesting. And it was just like, I will admit Tucker um, knew he was in enemy territory and asked some pretty questions. I'm like, I don't think I would ask that knowing that my, I could die. I like, I'm not making it back to America tonight. <laughs> you know? So I thought that was an interesting piece too, that he didn't veer away from any of that. Um, I will move on to the next topic. Unless you have a final, final say, Jennifer, final ret, say Reg on any of that. Nope. Nope. Well, that's the bottom the line. Just died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. All right, moving on. So, uh, Abacus, uh, polling numbers came out, and we were talking before the show, and this is something you were passionate about. We're, we're talking about this, and we all know. We know your TikTok account. We know you're on Twitter. You, you love numbers. Poli sci major. We get it. You're awesome. Um, you also roasted me on the whole Jenny Byrne thing. I love you for it. Um, but tell me what you're seeing here with the Abacus numbers uh, and the polling data, and I'm curious of, like, why you are do you see benefit and clearly you do on updating constantly on what the poll numbers are saying um i do i think mostly that benefit comes from allowing people to understand how that gap works in polling you know i i think i posted something on twitter today or yesterday saying um i don't even remember what i said it was something along something to do with polling And someone responds and they said, yeah, but we saw this in the 2019 to 2021 election and Trudeau still won. And it's like, okay, this goes to show that there is a very big misunderstanding as to how polling actually works, because we did not see a lead like this in 2019 or 2021. And not only that, the conservatives were not projected to win a majority government. We have a 26 point with the liberals and a 42 percent or something like that. For the conservatives as of yesterday um whereas in the last election i noticed somebody did chime in on that tweet and showed that like the liberals were around 30 some percent the conservatives around 30 some percent but then as you get closer to the actual election day um that's where that difference comes in and that's how they were able to essentially project a minority um in the days leading up to the election right that makes a lot of sense um i think then my question too we kind of touched on this you know, uh, a few months ago when we did talk, uh, but do you sense or do you worry about there being an issue? Obviously, you know, people who are not necessarily in the space, not familiar with politics, are you worried of like constantly or exhausting the issue of like, yeah, conservatives are winning, they're they're killing it, they're killing it, they're killing it, and then people just decide like going in autopilot mode, not going to vote, leave it at that, um, we're going to smoke them. Do you do you worry about that happening at all? Um, there's definitely that possibility. The things that can make up the difference in that 
almost complacency is that people have driving issues to bring them out to the polls. And right now that's the cost of living crisis and being tired of Justin Trudeau. So in 2021 and also in 2019, they were very lucky where people are like, eh, it's kind of, it's a small snapshot in time, right? 2021, he was able to use the excuse of the pandemic, but now we're into 2024. Things are not good. So I think that's going to still drive people. And I, I, I can't foresee them coming back from this. I just can't. That's fair. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. Honestly, I think that people are just, they're hurting right now. So they're going to be bringing that hurt to, to the polls. I do think that something you said, Jen, uh, a while back about like, don't play this election as if you've already won, even though they're doing really, really well. I think that there's enough people that are still on the fence that they could make it very difficult for the conservatives to lead. And so I look at uh, classic conservative way of parachuting candidates into communities. I was like, they need to not do that. If the conservatives want to really secure their place in parliament, make sure that they're out there doing the work, get on the ground, talk to people, talk to communities, bring their common sense messaging out there, get all the talking points out there and be visible because right now, I'm not seeing my conservative MP in my writing being visible at all. And that's concerning because I'm looking at it going, I know who my, my MP is because I have to, but do anybody else in my community? No, they don't. I actually did that over the weekend. I asked a couple, I was like, do you know who your MP is? And they're like, no, but this, you know, liberal guy keeps talking a whole bunch and he keeps talking about how he's going to make things better. And, you know, how he saved us from the carbon tax on our heating oil, <laughs> which the rest of the Canada is pretty PO'd about. But they're looking at that as a win. And I'm like, okay, the conservatives actually need to get on the ground and be visible because they can't just rely on this. And I think that the most, most of the population, I think, is quietly conservative right now because it's not in vogue to be conservative. So I think that people are being quietly conservative where they agree with what the messaging is. They're probably going to vote conservative at the polls, um, but they're not talking about it. And so I think that's a little bit what's happening right now. And that's why we're seeing the polling that we're seeing. But I do think that the, they just need to do a better job of being visible because the liberals, that's what they're good at. They're good at being very, very visible. I think there's multiple different things when you think of political strategy. There's what you're talking about when, you know, candidates are not on the ground and that's a huge problem. Um, <clears throat> another issue is that a lot of people involved in politics assume that everybody is the exact same way. And that is also a huge issue because the majority of people that are not involved in politics are not paying attention to the scandals and stuff that's going on every single day. And that's why they essentially become desensitized to it. Like Trudeau has this aura of just messing things up and people are kind of like, yeah, okay. It's just another thing that Trudeau's messed up. It is what it is. Another issue is that people may vote NDP and liberal because they cannot stand the conservatives. That in itself is an issue, but for the conservatives, I think there's going to be two big things to focus on. It's going to be the get out the vote. So they're solidified conservative voters that, making sure they're showing up in the polls, especially in those battleground places, because if people get in their mind, well, it's going to be a conservative majority anyway, I've seen the polls, we should be fine. They could actually cost the conservative seats in battleground cities. Um, and then, 
yeah, that undecided voter as well that they're going to have to appeal to during the, the RIP period, especially with their platform, because those undecideds will move all over the fence post. They'll go from NDP, liberal, conservative, it just, and some will strategically vote as well. Yeah, I, I kind of consider myself to be in that camp, honestly, of, you know, I'm going to vote however I see fit for myself. I'm not tied to any party. I'm not tied to any ideology. I voted conservative or I've never voted conservative actually. So this would be the first one I voted uh, liberal. I voted NDP in the past. And uh, now I'm looking at this going, I'm probably going to vote conservative because it's these policies by this government that's hurting me right now. I'm seeing it in my, my energy bills. I'm seeing it in my groceries. I'm seeing it in my mortgage. So I'm looking at this going, I can feel the effects of this government right now. Um, but it's interesting, the narrative that's coming out from some of my undecided friends where, like you said, they don't see the scandals. They're not hearing about all these things. And so when I was talking to a, a really, really close friend of mine and her and her husband were over for dinner and I said, yeah, I just I, I can't support this government any longer because I can't believe what they've done to us. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, he just gave back Nunavut to the indigenous people. Isn't that great? I was like, yeah, but he also just made $600 million disappear. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, and like all the arrive can crap and then all the stuff with SNC Lavalin. And I just started listing them off and they're like, we, we know nothing of that. And it's exactly what you said. It's just like, they're hearing in the media, oh, there's a scandal. Oh, there's something. And it's like, oh, every government has its scandals, but nobody's like, not nobody, but these individuals who are maybe undecided are not actually getting into the root of this stuff. And it was just this moment where I was like, how do you not know about this? <laughs> but unless you're doing a podcast or working for a nation or doing something where political advocacy, advocacy is really important, you're not following it as closely, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree with that for sure. And so something we covered at the start of the show uh, was the, the Bell Media layoffs. 4,800 people gone, um, jobs disappeared, poof. And, uh, you know, Trudeau got up and did his, his speech and said, this is a garbage decision. And then Paul Yev, uh, spoke on it too. And he got questioned pretty hard. Uh, and he was asked, um, do the conservatives support giving $120 million to mainstream media? And he didn't really answer the question. It became more of a combative nature, uh, com combative situation between him and the reporter. But then me and Reg looked at each other after seeing this, this interview transpire and we said, well, uh, well, let's talk about this $120 million going to mainstream media. And we looked at that, that them and the NDP backed uh, around the Online Streaming Act an amendment to give $120 million uh, to the, the mainstream media. And we said, well, what's that about? And we only really read about it through left-leaning um, media. And wondering, A, have you heard anything on this? And then B, we thought was interesting. We saw a different side of Polyev this time around where he... he was being a politician in nature and not giving a direct answer on the issue. What do you know about all this? Yeah, so I saw um, former cabinet minister and former member of parliament, Lisa Raitt, um, commented directly on this because I believe she was the minister of, oh, I don't even know what department she was the minister in. Okay, now I'm unknowledgeable, but um, <laughs> she, had, she had basically responded directly to um, Seamus O'Regan saying that the minister's office essentially would have been given a heads up that this was coming. And then he responded saying, no, that's not the case. So currently waiting on an access to information. I'm hoping the media actually reports on that access to information and finds out whether or not the minister's office knew these layoffs were coming. 
couple issues getting into the actual conversation around media, which is very deep and diverse topic. But I think number one, one point that I want to get across is I don't think, again, we're talking about people that don't pay much attention to politics. I think people want other people to be as outraged at Pierre Polyev as they are. However, I think there's the camp that just dislikes him anyway and everything he does pisses them off. I think for the most part, people see a politician criticizing media and they're like, okay, and? Um, and I don't think they're going to be as offended with Pierre Polyev as liberal supporters would want them to be. The second thing is I am, actually, this is a hot take for a lot of conservatives. I am a supporter in the mainstream media. Do I think that our government tax dollars need to be bailing them out all the time? No. Do I also think that there are people that are absolutely activists that get into journalism and they push their own narrative? Absolutely. But I do think that having a sounding board or an un, a balanced and neutral position on current news stories is really, really important because I could start up my own you know, news station right here if I wanted to and tell you whatever I want to tell you. And I think that that's why when you watch my TikToks, people say, well, she's she's biased or she's partisan. And I've made actual videos being like, listen, I am not a journalist. I am not nonpartisan and I'm not unbiased because I think it's really important to give that disclaimer to people that I am not the news and you are getting a feed directly from me that is curated on how I feel about things. So I might not report on something because I aid think it'll affect my mental health if it has to do with indigenous issues or whatever it's not that it's not important i just don't want to report on it and number two things that piss me off like this arrive can thing immediately today i'm like sit down let's film a video on this because this to me is important so i don't think taking away the importance of media in current day society is a good idea but at the same time i have literally watched and have been a part of that type of media i've done interviews where I've been given heads up as to what the questions are going to be. And it's turned into why Pierre Polyev is bad and how he's racist. Like, and I've literally been like, okay, whoa, number one, we did not discuss that. And number two, I was blindsided and it's for a gotcha moment. Right. And that kind of opened my eyes to, as to how media can operate. Absolutely. And then I just, I guess to follow up on that first question though, is um, so what I understood is like, it's not necessarily a bad thing that the conservatives were, involved with possibly giving 120 million to mainstream media um but i guess more so my question was i don't know if you saw the you know the interview happened at the end of question period today uh that he did it where he was just kind of cagey uh, around that question of like why they did it and i get it it's around political messaging because he's supposed to be the you know stick it to the demand uh situation of like yeah like the media sucks um do you think that's probably why he got a little cagey around it or what do you, what do you think the issue was there Probably, probably okay. for sure. Um, especially when like a small vote on an amendment is a snapshot in time. And it's now questioning essentially Pierre Polyev's entire messaging around media. Mm. So it's like, okay, we just, you know, we voted in favor just to get this going, or we voted on favor of this amendment or whatever. It's not really that big of a deal. But then it blows back up in his face when it questions his narrative around how he feels about the media. Right. I got you. Yeah. And so one of the things I thought was interesting is I, I was saying to Josh earlier, um, I actually have a friend who was laid off in the Bell Media um, debacle, I'll call it. And he was actually sympathetic to Bell, which I thought was very interesting coming from a person who just got laid off. And his kind of narrative was that, you know, Bell is a for-profit company. They're going to do what they're going to do. And he actually had the same kind of take that you had, Jen, where he was saying that, 
he really believes that the CBC should be an independent of government, but still funded by the taxpayer organization that is supposed to um, deliver non-biased information to the Canadian public, that that is what they're, they should be enshrined to do. And he was saying that his view on it would be that there should be an allotment of cash that is tied to um, inflation so that it doesn't grow or shrink depending on what government you have in power, but it's just constitutionally an entity and that it should not be able to be influenced by the government of the day. Because then if you have that influence where we see right now, the changes in the pot, you can basically control the media, you can control the messaging. And so his, his suggestion was, you know, have something that is state funded, but that is enshrined in the constitution in a way that it doesn't change depending on the government of the day. And I was like, that's an interesting take. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that one. <laughs> Cause I, I do kind of understand what you're saying about, you know, we do need to have uh, press. We need to have journalists. We need to have people doing that investigative work, but this is where it kind of breaks down and falls apart. I think is that when you have a government who then says, we're going to cut your funding. If you don't tell the right story, then it's, then it's worrisome. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. All right, we'll move on here to uh, Jagmeet Singh saying, All right, liberals, Justin Trudeau, we need pharmacare and we need it now. And he's threatening to pull their deal if they don't belly up to the bar here by March 1st. Uh, I know you're, this is something you've been following closely. What do you see happening? What do you hear happening behind the scenes on this issue? And is there any teeth to this threat at all? I think that when we are in a cost of living crisis, we're coming out of a pandemic, which a lot of people like to say, so I'm going to continue bringing that up as well. Um, and we're at the height of the government just showcasing to the entire country that they cannot manage their own way out of a paper bag. Why would we put a massive policy such as pharmacare on the table and be like, please handle this? Like, there is no way. Like, we just saw what happened with ArriveCan. Please do not touch pharmacare with a 10-foot pole. You are not the government that has the capacity to do it. Gee, tell us how you really feel. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess the question then comes back to, you know, we don't, we know logistically it makes no sense to do put together anything with pharmacare. Um, but this is something that is really important to sing and, you know, getting, keeping, you know, his role in the party. Um, but as I said, like, he's done this, two, three times at this point. It's like, we better do this or we're pulling it. And then they don't really do much. And things like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> Let's keep moving. Uh, do you think that's going to happen here now? Or is there any teeth to this whatsoever? I think that if Jugmeat and the NDP really want to continue being taken seriously, they need to consider their next steps very carefully. Um, one of the only things I would say that excuses Jugmeat for keeping this confidence and supply deal intact as long as they have is that they are essentially delivering on some of those big promises to the NDP. However, we have heard at their convention that some of the supporters are not happy with things. They don't think that things are going as smoothly as they should be. Um, so I, I think that he's actually going to start facing an ultimatum on whether or not this pharmacare gets delivered. Figure it out. And also there's what happens if Trudeau resigns because that's a very, very real possibility. You know, Krista Freeland swoops in, but the NDP realistically should be giving a voters the, the chance to voice on who they want to be the prime minister. 
So I think if anything, we have those two big things looming. There's that Pharmacare, and then there's also Justin Trudeau potentially fading off into the wind. And then Jugmeat has to, or is forced to um, essentially cut ties. This is the first time I've heard that. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. The, like, I haven't heard one person say that Trudeau has a possibility of just leaving. He's like, he, he hasn't, he's told, said it himself. He's like, I'm sticking around, suckers, whether you like me or not, uh, which concerns me on another level. What do you, what have you heard that has led you to think that he might just drop out? Um, Just understanding politics, I guess. I okay. think it would be sudden. Um, I definitely don't think it would be something where we're like, ah, I think it might maybe coming. I think it'll be sudden. Um, the earliest I think that that would happen would be the end of this month because didn't his dad, um, resign on a leap year yep. at the end of February, I believe. Um, <laughs> I think it'll be sudden, but I think his ego is too big to be forced out. Mm. And we're already, you have to think when you start hearing publicly in the media that there's insiders not even using their own names saying, okay, you know what? Everyone's kind of tired of Justin Trudeau. And then it spills over into his own MPs calling for a leadership review. That means that inside the house, it's much worse than we think it is. Justin Trudeau has always kept a very tight knit circle around him though. So that's why I say you might not hear much until it actually comes that time. But I think thinking that he can run in the next election is just insanity. It's just asking to lose all of your seats because it's not happening. Yeah. And I guess my question is what, power do you think the rest of the liberal caucus has in affecting his decision to not be the the party leader i guess or to to run next election like is there any kind of force and they they can exert yeah they could do exactly what the conservatives did they could there's two different routes you could go down you could well the membership is supposed to have a say the liberals are supposed to do a leadership review when they win a minority government they've ignored that twice now so they've already taken the voices away from the members um but they could do exactly what the conservatives did with Aaron o'toole majority of caucus comes together and says listen you got to go and perhaps that's their way of saying listen we stood up for canadian values for canadian people we know you're tired we're getting rid of him or they can just wait it out because I'm willing to bet that a lot of them um, are concerned about what the party looks like without Justin Trudeau because they've put all of their eggs in one basket. With right. Them. So can they actually like as a caucus to actually get him to leave or does he have to say, I've heard you. I hear that 70, 90, a hundred percent of you say that you want me out I will resign or do they actually have the power to say we all don't want you here goodbye or does he actually have to resign that's hard to say i don't know i'll have to circle back on how it went down with the conservatives i believe it just needed to be a certain percent but also like if you have 79 percent of your caucus wanting you gone like that's absolutely <laughs> wild to like be like no i'm saying i could see trudeau doing it which is oh, yeah. insanity yeah, I could totally see him doing it. And see, the reason I asked that is because I went down a rabbit hole today on how do you get rid of a prime minister? <laughs> and after everything I went through, it was just like the only way that we can get rid of a prime minister, even if they're charged criminally, the RCMP does not have the authority to remove that prime minister. We have no impeachment process. It has to be a non-confidence vote in order to get rid of that prime minister or the prime minister resigning that there's just, there's no other mechanism. And I was like, holy crap, like this is insane. And I asked the question 
to chat GPT and I, cause after I couldn't figure out like my own research for it, I was like, maybe, maybe this bot will tell me, um, the question of like in a majority government, has there ever been a non-confidence vote that has resulted in that government turning over? And it was just like, no, not that we can find in our records. I was like, cool. That's, that's what I found too. And it just makes me wonder, like, is Canada ripe for totalitarian governments if we have a majority government or if we have these coalition governments and is there a way forward where we actually have a check and balance system and is there other governments out there that are like ours that have a better system of checks and balances and i i'm just wondering if you've encountered anything like that um no i think that this opens up a very important conversation as to why it's important to get out and vote and get involved as much as you can but at the same time this is what happens when we elect politicians that essentially think they're untouchable because these MPs now are, they don't care. They are like, well, yeah. you know, some of them are waiting for their pension. Some of them are waiting until they lose the next election. What I'm thinking will drive the change is that we are, we've seen these polling numbers for as long as we have. I think there is legitimately going to be a bunch of liberals now that see the writing on the wall and either say, listen, you got to go like now because I'm going to lose my seat or they know they're going to lose their seat and they just ride it out and stop caring. And that kind of seems to be the route that a lot of them I think are taking because they're doing things you don't come back from, like mm -hmm. turning off their replies on social media and just not caring. Like, and even Justin Trudeau is doing things that tell me he's not running again. So it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Like, there's one Concern was obviously suggesting electoral reform uh, that came out in uh, uh, their back pocket there a few weeks back. And I hear you. I really do hear you, Jennifer, uh, on the idea that, like, yeah, it's it's all the signs are there that he's going to drop out. I would agree with that. I would have agreed with that if you told me that a year ago. But everything that's transpired and everything he's done has shown me that he is too narcissistic too up in his own ego to even even look beyond himself. That he's like, no, I'm the man, and you're gonna deal with it. Um, I I personally, this isn't this isn't has no data behind it whatsoever. This is my own personal feelings. As Josh Udall, I don't see him going anywhere, and he will burn that party down, party to the ground in the process, and he doesn't care. That's just. I'll leave you with that idea. I'll let you can respond to it if you want. That's just kind of where my head, um, that's where my emotional mind goes to, if I'm being honest. I think you're right. And the reason that I think that is because I truly don't think that he wants to lose to Pierre Polyev. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of them, you'll, you might see some MPs that literally just retire. Like they fade <laughs> off into the wind because they're like, I cannot lose my seat to a Pierre Polyev conservative. Because this guy has been at their neck as a literal pit bull. He's been one of the fighters in the Conservative Party for years. And it's like just him working his way up to the leadership and now potentially becoming the prime minister. You know that that's just like I think losing to Aaron O'Toole. It's like, oh, OK, whatever. He's kind of whatever. You know, he's just like a like a garden gnome like yeah. <laughs> I don't have any feelings yeah Aaron O'Toole is a great and very nice guy I might add mm. but he doesn't piss people off the way that Pierre Polyev does right Pierre Polyev absolutely pisses people off and especially liberals like they <laughs> he makes it so easy so this is 
it's going to be this election is going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be very, very ugly. And, you know, I, and I got that, too, where, you know, he just got called an effing tool in a question period the other day, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was uh, wild and hilarious to me. Um, but I think that goes back into kind of, I guess, the, the finish us off here with that final topic on what Jagmeet is going to do here at the NDP. Um, do you what do you think, you know, if you've heard anything, is kind of the main motivation for Jagmeet at this point? Is it? We obviously know it's not the actual pharmacare. It's his thing. Um, that's that's his thing to keep power uh, over his party. But do you think the more more of the motivation is from um, like to be able to take on an election? Is do they does the NDP have any money to take on an election, um, or is it the fact that Jagmeet does really want to hold on to his pension, so he's going to push this thing as long as he can? Do you what do you think is more of the motivation from his perspective? Um. Yeah. I like. Jugme has just as good of an opportunity as anybody else to re to rerun in his riding and continue on. Um, he could call or pull this the support tomorrow, head into an election, rerun, and still get his pension next year as long as he holds on to his seat. But the problem is, is I think that this confidence and supply deal has put such a distaste in so many people's mouths that the NDP don't have any footing right now. It's like, well, if we wait this out, at least we're getting something. If we had the conservatives majority, we're getting nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, Pierre Polyev is going to watch them in the very back corner and be like, good, you're getting nothing now. Like, <laughs> true. Yeah. You're going to say in the back bench and you're going to like it. Uh, that's what <laughs> yeah, happened. <laughs> like, you're not getting nothing, not even an extra cup in the opposition lobby. So, so. I will say too, because me and Reg have talked about this time and time again. Does that, like, the overwhelming majority that likely could happen in the next election, does that? Does that make you nervous at all that a government could have that much control based on what we just talked about in terms of the uh, there's no recourse to impeach a government in this country? Um, yes and no. I think that when you have a one party involvement, like a majority government, they run a lot smoother because that risk of screwing up, they don't have anyone else to help them. Um, we saw that under Harper's government and, you know, they're when they, well, no, sorry, Harper was in a minority, came back and won a majority. Yeah. But everything seemed to run just a little bit smoother. Um, I'm hoping to see smaller government because the type of government we have right now is not working effectively. The only thing that essentially worries me is that there is that, that less, there's less room for them to be flexible. So, you know, if if the conservatives were to work with the the NDP or the liberals, you know that you're still going to get policies that you may like. Um, I I wouldn't say that I'm concerned about a majority government, but what I am concerned about is that when you are spending the amount of money you have been spending and government is inflated to the to the point that it is, what is that going to look like coming in and fixing that? Yeah. So, yeah. like I know they're saying right now, conservatives are going to cut, cut, cut. It's like, well. I would hope a little bit yeah, because so. there's yeah. a whole lot happening here. So, absolutely, yeah. That was that was my thought. It was like he's going to be the austerity minister because or prime minister because he's going to be inheriting such a hornet's nest and such a like gong show. Like, what is he going to even do? Like, he's not going to have the capital to even do anything because the debt servicing levels are so high right now that it's going to be eating up all of their extra tax dollars just to service the debt. And so I think it's going to be a lot of just trying to undo the Trudeau era policies that have been so detrimental to this country's fiscal policy. So I totally agree with that. It's like, what can he even do? And so 
my concern is that I think that people are going to see him come into power. He's going to cut everything everywhere and they're going to go, yep, exactly what Trudeau said he was going to do. <laughs> he came in here and cut everything. But I think that it's going to be the only thing that he's going to be able to do in order to keep this country above water. Otherwise, I think we're, I think our ship is sunk because that is the one thing from the Putin interview that I thought was actually accurate was when he was talking about, it. he's like, why are you sending money? Why are you sending weapons? Why are you doing all these things in foreign countries? He's like, when your own country is so far indebted that it can't see past its own debt load. And I thought the same thing about Canada. I was like, well, that's us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why did we just send how many billion over to the Philippines and however many billion to Ukraine, however many billion to um, Israel yeah. and then to Pal Palestine as well? Like, you know what I mean? We're just throwing so much money at everybody else. And it's like, dude, do you not see the predicament we're in right now? And so I wonder, like, is there any policies that you're thinking that he'll put through that isn't kind of that austerity kind of policy or, or anything that he could do potentially. Cause I mean, he's talking big talk about like building all the houses and, and uh, being tough on crime. And I'm just thinking like, if you're throwing everybody in jail, that's a cost to the state as well. So like, what are you thinking that he's, that he might be floating as his kind of gift to Canadians? Because otherwise they're going to be looking at this as, you know, he's just cutting everything. I don't know. I can say that I do know a couple of the people on Pierre's team and they are brilliant. Um, two of the people more specifically working on policy are not overly partisan, that they're really, they're really well-rounded people. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's going to be some really good stuff come out. Like even with the indigenous stuff, I was like, Hey, where is it? Like I'm waiting, I'm waiting. <laughs> and then I saw last week and I texted um, Pierre's director of policy and he's like, this has been a year in the making. Mm. And I think right there, though, that's that's something where we have the liberals right now that promised a national guaranteed loan program for nations, which was a conservative policy in the 2021 election, because nations are like, hey, we want to participate in resource development, you know, oil and gas, mining, whatever it might be, because it brings wealth to our nations. And the liberals are like, mm, how about an emissions cap instead? <laughs> and it's like, OK, but now in their fall economic statement, they promised a national guaranteed loan program no actual like programming they just promised it but i think with pierre coming in he's going to maybe put that responsibility back on canadians that you know what there's not any serb checks anymore there's not all this extra money flowing we're not getting grocery rebates like not that that saved anybody anyway <laughs> yeah. but we're going to make sure there's tax credits for you you know bring back the the leisure one for kids sports i pay a ton of money in my kids extracurriculars that'd be huge for me um, all these boutique benefits aren't helping me as a millennial paying my bills anyway. I'm not getting GST. You know, I'm not getting all these fancy things and even the child tax credit. When I was a single mom, yes, but now as two working adults, me and my husband get next to nothing. So it's like people are like, oh, well, he'll take that away. It's like, okay, well, I would just want lower taxes because I'm just out here trying to survive anyway. Yes, so totally. That's exactly what I said. I was like, I'm not getting anything from the child tax credit. Like Jen and I, my, my wife is also named Jen, also native. So I thought that was kind of funny. But uh, yeah, we were talking about the fact that like we're getting nothing from the child tax credit and we get no GST. We don't get the grocery rebate. Like we are not making enough that we're thriving or doing really well, but we're not making so little that we're actually qualifying for these programs. So I'm just like selfishly, yeah, it doesn't matter to me if they all get cut either. <laughs> but 
exactly like what you said if you lower the taxes and you lower the tax burden on us like carbon taxes and um, income taxes and any kind of tax frankly like it's going to help it's going to put money back into our pockets so that we can afford to do the things that we want to do we can afford to take our daughter like to go to swimming lessons and things like that like you said because right now it's just it's painful <laughs> and it's it's brutal absolutely Awesome. Well, uh, General, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'll give you the floor for the last two minutes here. Anything you want to say that you were like, yeah, I wanted to say this, but you didn't ask me the question, you dumb morons. Uh, anything you want to uh, hit on before we end off here? Uh, not really. Just that you said Jenny Byrne was an MP. <laughs> <laughs> and she is very much not an MP. Yeah. Oh, there man. There spreading misinformation again. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I'm a professional. Like, I love spreading Russian disinformation in my spare time, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so... Okay, I will explain. That whole interaction was hilarious. Um, because for me, I was talking right before the show. When I'm getting sassy over text, I, I spread out my message over, like, four or five texts. And so what happened, you hit me, it was like, hello, Jenny Burns, not an MP. And I'm like, so dot, dot, dot. And before I could even continue, it's like, yeah, you're wrong. Like, oh, my <laughs> God. here's the thing here. Oh, uh, that episode stunk. All right. It was terrible. And uh, that encapsulated everything. I misspoke on that issue. And uh, yeah, I appreciate your correction. Uh, I appreciate you taking your 30 seconds to light me up on that one here. And now on my own show means the world. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, but in all seriousness, Jennifer, it's, uh, we, we love having you come on. Uh, we love your, your frank attitude and, and just your, your take on politics. That's why we, we enjoy having you on and uh, gratefully taking the time with us today. Yeah, it's been fun. Can't wait to do it again. Awesome. Absolutely. Cannot wait. Have yourself a good one. All right. Well, that was awesome. Uh, grateful. That, that was a great time to chat with Jennifer, getting into the, the crux of all the politics going on here. And uh, speaking of politics, uh, we kept this one for last for all of our Nova Scotia homies. Um, y'all, we got some info for you. I didn't believe it when I first heard it, but based on our source, says uh, we could be going to the polls literally this summer uh, to reelect or elect a new government uh, here in Nova Scotia. Um, word on the street is uh, from what we've heard as a show, um, Tim Houston has a bit of an ego, uh, if you don't haven't realized, and uh, as most politicians do, um, but he really wants to outdo Buchanan, who was a conservative uh, premier here in Nova Scotia from, I believe it was 1970 to 78 or 70 to 85, one of those, anyways, it was like eight years that he was, uh, or sorry, 12 years that he was a premier here. And from what we've heard of, People in his own party is like, yeah, he really wants to to beat that record as the another conservative premier. And what Buchanan did um, was he didn't do elections every four years. He would do them every three. And Tim Houston is taking a note out of that playbook. And what we're hearing is that, well, based on some moves um, that elections Nova Scotia's made, they are currently looking at possibly renting out space in various parts of the province. And they're looking to do it over the course of the summer of you know, as you know, after Houston got elected last time, you know, three years ago, uh, he said that we were going to have a permanent election day and it's going to be July 15th. No matter no matter when when it happens, it's going to be July 15th. So we could be hearing as early as a late April, early May that we are going back to the polls here this summer. Yeah. And it's funny because I was telling you the story, too, that at my work, um, because I work in healthcare, uh, I was at a release of the Your Health Nova Scotia app event where he spoke and 
one of the things that we've been working on is actually getting patient health records out to all Nova Scotians, but beginning with 12,000 people to begin with. And uh, our, our premier got up in front of everybody and said, by June, everybody will have access. And the room went silent. Just the gasp was audible because the amount of work it took to get us to the point of having 12,000 people. And we're like, we're going to push this to 1.1 million by June. Why? Like, why on earth would he say that? And then talking to Josh <laughs> about this idea of like, oh, we could potentially be having an election in the summertime. Like, that makes total sense now because everybody in that room, you had high level healthcare everywhere from like Department of Health and Wellness, the Nova Scotia Health Authority, um, different doctors, professionals, everyone in the room going, what? This is confusing. <laughs> like, why did he say that? And then like people just kind of like looking stone faced and confused. <laughs> and, you know, afterwards, even the conversations were just like, I don't understand. Like, why this rush on this? But if you've run on an election of fixing healthcare and you really see this as a way to fix healthcare because, you know, pushing uh, patient health records to the patients themselves and giving them that uh, control over their own health and that autonomy, that's a really, really strong message. And that's a really, it would be a huge win for Nova Scotians, honestly. So if he puts the resources and the, and the effort behind it to make that happen, honestly, that's a win in my book. But just the fact that that room, you could hear a, a pin, pin drop. drop. Oh my God. Like you could hear people's hearts beating because people's hearts rate went from like 78 beats per minute to like 300 because it was just like, oh my good Lord, how are we going to do this? <laughs> Everyone's Apple watches were going off. Yeah, <laughs> Spiking. Uh, it's, uh, it is interesting, right? And it's a strategy piece too. As much as you, we talked about at the beginning of the show where we try our best to kind of look at and see different perspectives and, and things that are happening in our country and things around us from a political perspective. And we have our own biases. We'll be honest. You know, we try our best to be middle of the road. We technically are. We're not extreme, extremists on either uh, either side. We're not activists on either side of this as much as others would like to say we are. Um, we have to, we, we, I would be remiss to not mention this. And the thing is people were really confused. When Tim Houston first announced, yeah, we're going to do an election day, July 15th, no matter the year, no matter the time, election day will always be July 15th. Politicians all have their angle, right? And that there was a reason behind July 15th. And it's because typically conservative conservatives don't vote, uh, don't uh, play very well with young people. Um, typically, young people are voting liberal, voting NDP. They're traditionally not voting conservative. Um, and the reason why we head July 15th as well, we are a university town here in Halifax, a lot of college students and, and a lot of people are on vacation and they're out of province and can't really vote. And, or, and if they can vote, they're not going to really spend their time away trying to figure out way, ways they can vote unless things are really bad, um, as we see with the current federal government in this country. Um, so there is a reason behind all of it. It is interesting to see. And I think Tim, he's, you know, if, if what I heard was correct um, and that he really wants to try and get a record here, um, he's going to, he's calling that election early because he knows if he can get that, as you said, that project up and going for 1.1 million Nova Scotians, that's going to play really well. He'll get reelected and life will be good for him and he'll get another three, four years 
whatever he said, but he so chooses and uh, we'll see what happens. Yes. Yeah, see, this is why I have a love hate relationship with him. So my love for him is that he's actually making things happen, which is something that's never happened in government for the past, as long as I've been alive, which is, you know, 30 plus years. So yeah, for the first time, we're actually seeing things come out of government in leaps and bounds. And I get to see behind the curtain at a lot of different things that are really, really fantastic, really amazing. And I'm not even just blowing smoke because like, it's really cool and it's coming and you're going to hear about it probably right before the election, <laughs> but it's, it's coming. So I, there's a lot of really good things happening. Um, what makes me hate him is just like the fact that it's so obvious that this man has never struggled once in his life. <laughs> when you look at the like comments he says, like the things he said about um, the minimum wage and the things that he said about the Cape Bretoners just using the snow as publicity, like the Emergency Measures Act. I don't know if you caught that. No. But basically what happened is in Cape Breton, they got a stupid amount of snow where people couldn't even leave their homes. And they called a, an emergency, state emergency in that part of the province. And the premier was like, we're doing everything we can. Like, why did you call a state of emergency? Like, it's more just for publicity than anything. And that did not land well. People yeah. were PO'd. They were mad. I can imagine. <laughs> Which, rightfully so. And it's just like these kind of comments that come out. And then the fact that the man was like in the Panama Papers for Pete's sake, like, he's got money. He's doing okay. And so to me, I'm just like, uh, you really don't understand the plight of the everyday person which sucks and which also plays in the fact that in Nova Scotia, our income tax has stayed the same since 2016. And you might ask like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, as inflation goes up, the amount of money that you're now paying in taxes is so much more because they're not changing the tax brackets to account for that inflation. So since 2016, we've just been completely robbed in this province. And that's why you're seeing some bad indicators on poverty, on, on uh, like the wealth of the people basically. And so this is why I hate them is because I'm looking at this going, you need to fix, fix income tax rates in this province. And then also you've got the other opponents, opponents running against them saying that they're going to reduce the taxes by 2%, the provincial portion of the sales tax. And I'm like, that sounds like a really great idea to me. I could use a little bit of that money back in my pocket. And at every meeting that he's been a part of where they've said, you know, are you going to do anything about the taxes? He said, no, we need that money. We need that to, to invest in healthcare, to fix healthcare. I'm like, great, but we're going to have a lot more users of healthcare if we keep bleeding the, the system dry. So mm -hmm. this is where I have that, like that love hate relationship for him because I've had a couple of people call me out and be like, you're just a big, you know, Houston fanboy, And I'm like, <laughs> like yes and no what's the option <laughs> yeah and I, the interesting part goes back to uh i think everyone in politics in nova scotia is sensing an election coming up here this summer because why else would zach churchill's liberals come out and say we're gonna cut uh the uh, the provincial sales tax uh down by two percentage points here why else would you say that now Interesting. Yeah. Interesting promise. There's, I've never known a liberal government um, since like maybe the 90s that said we're going to cut taxes. Never seen that happen uh, in a long time. They're usually not fans of doing that. So you have to ask yourself, why? Why are you making that promise? Obviously, you want to be elected. We all know that. But then two, something is brewing. I'm, I'm feeling yep. it. And what's funny is because it was the liberal government that actually raised yeah. the taxes because we did actually go from 50% uh, sales tax down to 13 
and then the liberals got in power, jacked it back up to 15 again. <laughs> so yeah. they, like, if like, it's just basically playing with that 2% back and forth and liberal party, come on, do better. Say you're going to cut it by 5%. Give us something to actually work with and hope for. Uh, let's just do this. How about we do this? How about we uh, cut the provincial sales tax altogether and we just live off of property taxes since we get milked through that right now anyways <laughs> and uh, call it a day. And I know, you know, things are not set up for us to be able to do that, but oh, what can I say? There's a, that libertarian in me is coming out. <laughs> you, you know what I think? I think you could probably pull in Alberta and cut all of the provincial sales tax, cry hardship and to get more equalization because that's exactly what Quebec does. Oh, <laughs> should we make a block Nova Scotia? I think so. I think so. Oh, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Acadien, Acadien, here we go. All righty. Well, that was a grand time. Good show, dog. Well, um, is there anything you want to end off with before we, we finish off? No, I'm, I'm here for the separatist Nova Scotia party. So yeah, let's and, go. You know what? <laughs> New Brunswick and PEI, you guys can come too. We, we don't mind. You can be a part of us. <laughs> we'll Atlantic call it Atlantica. <laughs> Atlantica. We out of here. Not associated with the hotel. Yeah. Uh, so whatever it is you're doing, whether you be going to work. Uh, just at the gym. Or trying to figure out and argue in politics with your friends. Whatever it is you're doing, wherever you are. We love you. We're out. Peace.